Welcome to the Lift As You Climb podcast, where it's all about the journey and the joy of discovering who you are now, deciding who you want to become, and embracing your genuine identity, influence, and impact. In each episode, we'll explore how life's experiences have prepared us for what we choose to do next and how to create our encore, write our own script, and star in the next stage of our lives. I'm your host, your encore strategist and transformation catalyst, Isabel Alexander. Ladies and gentlemen and travelers of the universe of Lift As You Climb, I am very delighted to introduce my guest, Marion Hook. You couldn't have two people almost opposed geographically and chronologically than we are. It's 6 a.m. where I am and 7 p.m. where she is here in Canada and Marion is in Bali, Indonesia. This is a true honor for me to be interviewing her for the Lift As You Climb podcast as we explore how you can live your legacy and have an impact, make a positive difference for others in your life and people you don't even know, even when you don't have lots of zeros in your bank account, or even the experience of having created something before. Just a little bit about Marion, and there's a lot in her life. We'll take some of the examples, but in our show notes, I'm going to include more details about her background and her biography. She has lived in a lot of different states in the United States, but also in fabulous places like Jakarta, Indonesia. And right now, she is in Ubud, Bali, Indonesia, where she intends to stay. Based on what I know so far about Marian, never say never. Her educational background includes a degree in English literature, drama, journalism, and education. She laughingly says that she studied applied linguistics at graduate school level longer than anyone needs to. She's been employed as a high school English teacher, a professor of communication skills at community college, and has been the director of several not-for-profits. So now we have a bit of a hint of how she gained some of her experience. She's been a consultant for boards and always very much lifting and climbing in the not-for-profit sector. She was the co-owner with her late husband, Jim, of the Adobe Rose Bed and Breakfast in Tucson, Arizona. I've heard marvelous things, but never had the pleasure to stay there yet. She's a writer and a volunteer, obviously, and she was on the advisory board of the Enterprising Women magazine. She served on both the small minority and women-owned business commissions for the city of Tucson. She was on the advisory board of the School of International Business at Duquesne University and the Pima County Small Business Commission. 
Now, I also know that Marion has been active for a long time in Rotary International because that's how she and I came to know each other. Although I've never met her in person, I've met her on many a Zoom screen in the last couple of years. And because of our fellow colleague in Rotary, Gina Murphy-Darling of Mrs. Green's World, I became involved in a project that Marion was spearheading in her community with her Rotary group in Ubud. Today, I am so pleased to be able to start off this season with Marion talking about how you can take a passion, even something that's just kind of a little smoldering idea, get it started and add a little oxygen and make that flame grow brighter. You might do that on your own, or you might do it with the help of others or in a group that you are involved. What I really want to convey to you is that you should start, and you don't have to wait until you think that you have all of the pieces aligned. You don't have to have a big bank account. You don't have to have prior experience. You don't have need to know yet how to write grants, etc. Just get started. Leverage everything that you already have within your own personal life experience and network and get going. Marion, you started something that has become a global impact now. You started something very local in your community. Would you please give us the origin story of Sewing for Living? I certainly will. First of all, this was not my idea. Oh. It was our, our Rotary president's idea, Kartika Dewey. Uh, our Rotary Club is both local Indonesians and local expats or expatriates. Tika called me up one day and said, I want to help Indonesian women and told me exactly why. This was in October of 2019. She said, I need to write a district grant for Rotary and I don't know how to do it. I don't think my English is good enough. I thought it was good enough, but she didn't. So we sat down, we talked, and I wrote the grant. And we got enough money for a couple of sewing machines. We were going to teach women how to use sewing machines because Indonesian women make your life look easy. No matter how many jobs you do, they have more. They're in charge of the children. They're in charge of the elderly. They're in charge of their family. They're in charge of the community that they live in. They are in charge of their temples, and there are at least 10 temple ceremonies a month. And they make the offerings that go into those ceremonies. I'll have to send you a picture of one to include because they're beautiful and intricate, which prohibits them from working outside the home if they have children because there just isn't time. But Tika said, if they learn how to use a sewing machine, and we make sewing machines available, then they can work from their homes, and they can do piecework for factories that assemble clothing. And we thought, yeah, that's a good idea. So we got a couple of sewing machines, thanks to a Rotary Club in Australia, 
And we started teaching them to sew. I was not involved actively at that time, just the grant writer. Then COVID came along and Indonesia shut its doors for two years. So many of the factories that would have used our skilled women shut down and they couldn't sell anything. So Tika came to me and she said, Marion, do you know how to crochet? I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, teach the women how to crochet. So I started teaching the women how to crochet. And still, we had a problem. There was no place to sell this. Well, I have a connection in Rocky Point or Puerto Penasco, Mexico, who works with impoverished children there. And I had worked with her. So I said, Deb, I promised the kids I'd send them Christmas presents every year. How about if I send them winter hats? So I bought the hats from the women so they didn't get discouraged because there was no place to, uh, to sell them and uh, kept their hope up uh, and uh, fed their families. Then slowly things began to open uh, in April of 2021. So they'd gone two years with no real strong markets. Our strongest market was uh, the Christmas market in Cologne, Germany, believe it or not, uh, through another Rotary Club, other connections. So I hope you're beginning to see a pattern here. Tika called me, I called Deb down in Mexico, somebody else called a guy in uh, Germany, and uh, we've had a business going. And nothing warms your heart more than buying a hat for about $2 U.S. And uh, having the woman say something to your friend Tika in uh, Balinese, which I don't understand. And when I asked Tika what she said, she said, good, I'll be able to feed my kids tonight. It, uh, I am sorry, Marion. Would you just repeat what you said, please? I bought a hat from a woman who was learning to crochet um, to send to Mexico. And when I paid her about $2 US, uh, she looked at my friend Tika and said something in Balinese, which I don't understand. Uh, it's different from Bahasa, Indonesia. So I asked Tika later, what did she say? And Tika looked at me and said, she said, good, I'll be able to feed my kids tonight. Thank you. I felt it was very important that everybody heard how that one item had such a major impact in a family's life. And that's why I'm saying that a lift as you climb doesn't require you to have a big infrastructure to have an impact. It's the beginning of that each individual action. So thank you. But I'm shameless. I, I tap all my connections. The first thing I did um, was call my daughter who lives in Tasmania, Australia, and say, uh, can you get to a store called Spotlight and buy me some yarn? I'll pay you back. 
She goes, you don't have to pay me back. So she went to Spotlight and started sending yarn because we had no money. We had to find alternative ways to supply the women with the, the tools to work. Right. So um, my other daughter sent uh, yarn. Uh, some guys I know in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin sent some yarn. And uh, we began getting the tools for the women to work with. Now, what I laugh about is for my 75th birthday, I went out on Facebook and said, look, I'm going to be three quarters of a century old. Please help me celebrate. Send me a ball of yarn. Thinking, oh, I hope I get 75. I got 683 balls of yarn for my birthday. Again, I have to pay the import tax on it, but that's minimal. For those of you who are knitters and crocheters, you know how expensive yarn can be. So, again, using connections, and I encourage people, who do you know? Who might be interested in this? The first person I asked was someone I met at the National Association of Women Business Owners. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen her in years. But I said, hi, Lisa, I just read on Facebook that uh, you're a Rotarian. So am I. Let me tell you about our new project. And uh, her first comment was, is it sustainable? And I said, yes. It was in my mind. It was on paper. Why not? Yes. Well, her club donated $350, which allowed us to buy uh, another sewing machine and some crochet hooks. And now Lisa is a member of our club, thanks to technology. So then you don't have to live where you live to be a member of your club. Thanks to Zoom and other things, no. Uh, because of COVID, right now we have five members. Uh, two of them are in the United States. Three of them are in Australia because they had to leave when COVID came. I chose not to leave. I chose to stay. And when I say they had to leave, they had to leave Indonesia. They had the opportunity to leave Indonesia. Well, I had not anticipated this, but perhaps we could talk after the interview about representation on the membership from Canada. Um, because uh, we would certainly welcome you with open arms. Well, just as an explanation to our audience, I was a member for... Like it's just about two years of the Rotary uh, Sunrise Club in Tucson, Arizona, hence my connection with Marion. But after moving one year ago back to Canada, I have not found my Rotary home yet. Maybe it isn't around the corner. Maybe it's across a pond or two or three ponds, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, uh, right. we can start out with Lake Ontario. Uh, no, we we uh, all of our meetings connect to Zoom, so people can keep in touch, and we also connect everyone through WhatsApp. If you're listening to this from the states, you guys really don't use WhatsApp as much as the rest of the world. Um, no, the U.S. is doesn't isn't as aware of WhatsApp as. Um, as I am, because I have family around the world, and also in my uh, uh, 
business owner rule. I had business clients and staff in China. So I'm, I'm more familiar with the opportunities to communicate in different ways for little or no cost and stay in touch. So yay. And I guess, you know, as one of the positive strategic uh, side effects of COVID, the pandemic, we've all learned a lot more about how to stay in touch, how to, you know, really uh, network and make a difference and be part of and get to know each other better uh, via digital or whatever they call the technology platforms today, right? Right. I have a family. Um, my family's on three continents. Yes. You have you have family in Australia, United States. Yep. And, and you in Indonesia. That's fantastic. Um, just just because you know, I don't know that a lot of people are familiar with where Indonesia is. Could you could you just give me a little perspective for the audience? It's it sits on the equator and it's between uh, India and it's an archipelago that goes. Oh, I'd have to look at a map. I'm from a child of the 1960s. Geography wasn't taught all that well. Um, we're near Singapore. We're near Borneo. Well, Borneo is part of Indonesia, but it shares the island with Malaysia and uh, Brunei. Uh, I'm trying to think what else is close. Yeah, I'm in I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, because geography was not my strong suit ever, although I have a great love of traveling the world. Uh, you're kind of in between India and Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good way to put it. If you put a diagonal between uh, between those, right? Okay, so and it's it's eighteen thousand islands, nine thousand are inhabited. That is incredible. Well, if I'm going to visit them all, I better get started soon because I'm 68. But you know that gives me you know another 30 or 40 years to work on it, so it's good. Okay, so I can see now how. You started with um, Tika's idea, the president of your Rotary Club at the time, and right. that was pre the pandemic, but it right. had it was started in um, empowering women uh, to stay within their their cultural um, values and and you know what's traditional for them, but also to be financially autonomous by working from yep. okay so got got that and it started simply with a couple of sewing machines then then unfortunately the pandemic hit and it became a much more pressing need to provide these families with income to buy food is that about 25 percent of bali's economy is reliant on tourism so 85% of the people who work on Bali had no jobs for two years. That, that's just and, frightening. And there is, there is a very, very, very slim safety net, and it really didn't save too many people. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people working together to help each other. But there was literally, there were no jobs. There were no tourists, there were no hotels open, there were few restaurants open, and people were starving. 
So give me give me some idea, some context around the cost of living and how much the purchase of one of these items uh, has an impact on a family life there. Well, it depends on the family, like anywhere else. Certainly, Indonesia has some very, very wealthy people. Um, their investments have paid off. They're invested in other countries. Uh, the middle class, I first came to Indonesia in 1982, and there was almost no middle class. There's a solid middle class now. But if your solid middle class involved someone who worked as a manager at a four or five star hotel and that hotel closed, things crashed. Right. Uh, you can buy food, you can buy a meal that consists mainly of rice for about a dollar. It, uh, but that's the low end of the income scale. It, uh, if I wanted to go out and buy a Thanksgiving turkey, I probably could do it. It would cost me well over $100. <laughs> so it depends on what you're eating and where you're living. Uh, it's like anyone else, except the low here is lower, and I'm willing to bet that the high is higher than uh, in a lot of places. And the middle class is small. Yeah. But there. But when you don't, when you don't have a job, when there's no income, it doesn't matter whether you're whether there's a you know scale for wages or social services or anything, right? It's just ingenuity now has to become the the first. People were selling their motorbikes, they were selling their cars, they were selling their land. Yeah, uh, it 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 was awful. Right. So take me, uh, take us a little further in this progress, because now what I hear is that, so we've got local people involved through the club and other connections. Um, and you so brilliantly uh, have woven your connections from your past life, your travel, your family, your friends and others into um, well, isn't that interesting? Sewing for a living and what you're actually doing, it's the foundation is you're weaving a tapestry of connections, right? Connections are everything, Isabel. Yeah, connections are everything. And, you know, Maya Angelou said, people may forget what you said and people may forget what you do, but they will never, may, never forget how you made them feel and I guess those connections of yours must have felt pretty good. Well, I hope so. Yeah. All right. And then to be able to give them an opportunity to add their connections to this tapestry is, is also fabulous. That's so, the way the world works. It, it does, truly. And I, I, I find that is more so more obvious in the community of women. Uh, not not exclusively, but certainly I think as women we've become. I grew up in a farming community, and and so I'm you know I I associate memories of quilting bees where the women gathered together uh, to make quilts or uh, to gather together to make the meals when a barn was going up or or there was you know a crop had to be taken off because uh, the family member was. Unable to do so. 
good morning, my my raspy morning voice. Uh, and so this opportunity for women to get together is when they start to think of other things they can do to help communities and each other. And it's it's a beautiful thing what you're creating. Well, we we hope so. And we hope it keeps being beautiful because it's blossoming. It's been so exciting for me to start off with a crochet hook and a ball of yarn I had cooked cooking kicking around my uh, living room and uh, I was just supposed to teach the ladies to crochet and now I'm teaching them how to be business women and that's exciting. I would like to hear more about that because as a as a businesswoman myself and also the your earlier comment about is this sustainable? And I was a member also of, uh, of NABO, the National Association of Women Business Owners, when I lived in Arizona. Uh, it's it's very interesting to see that evolution that's happened with Sewing for Living. And it isn't now just about creating a product, but it's also having confidence and knowledge about the skills to run a business, right? Is that correct? Well, this is, this is very interesting because uh, the ladies were just crocheting their hearts out, and I was their only market. Mm. Well, I could not sustain that. That's when we began looking to other clubs. Uh, in fact, the club in Tucson bought some products and sold them at their uh, their district conference. <laughs> um, but when we found out that we could actually sell the products to Germany, to Cologne, and make money that way, we began to look for other markets. And it was hard because everything was closed. Right. Then one of our other projects in our Rotary Club, we have an environmental project in Kalimantan. Uh, Kalimantan is the Indonesian part of Borneo, uh, where we are working to preserve what's left of the rainforest there, one of the lungs of the world, so to speak, and to preserve what's left of the orangutan population. So we began crocheting orangutans. Half of the money that you get for an orangutan, that we get for an orangutan, goes to the woman who made it, and the other half goes to the uh, Long Sam project, which is uh, in reference to land that surrounds the Kalai River in Kalimantan. So, okay, we had a new market, and we had a purpose, not just sewing for a living, but uh, we had an environmental purpose, and people began buying orangutans. They're really cute. I sent you a picture. And uh, we thought, all right, and we began publicizing. If you look at our PowerPoint presentation for sewing for a living, you'll see one of our one of our threats is that uh, we're limited in market. Well, now that things are opening up, my ladies can't keep up. It's a great they problem. Can't keep yeah. up. It's a great problem to have. But we have a population who knows nothing about running a business. So we've started on ground zero and we're, we're working to get people to understand uh, quality control. Uh, to understand deadlines. I mean, the very, very basics of business. Plus, 
I know Western business. Western business and Eastern business are two very different things. It, uh, I can tell you about Western marketing. I had a woman stop by one of the shops and say, oh, you need to display this differently. And I'm thinking, really? I said, but who is the market? Are you displaying for a local market or are you displaying for a tourist market? Because they're two different things. Isabel, you'll appreciate that. Think of the difference of the way things are displayed in Tucson and the way things are displayed in Puerto Penasco. Yes, yes. Very good analogy. Yeah, we would have guests come back from uh, Puerto Penasco and um, we'd have show and tell, show me what you bought. And some people say, I didn't buy anything because I, 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 it was overwhelming. There were just too many things. So we have to teach sort of a hybrid of marketing mm -hmm. and then um how to set a price we're still working on that one because if you have no money 10 cents is a lot of money right and um they don't have to pay for the yarn so it's very confusing if you've never done it before so we're working on all kinds of very basic entrepreneurial skills but thanks to NABO and Enterprising Women magazine, I had a lot of people help me along. <laughs> There's that connections theme again. Yep. Yeah. How fabulous. So can you uh, think of a particular individual uh, that well, one of the local women that started off in the program? Because I thought it was interesting when you say, if you don't have money, 10 cents can sound like a very desirable thing to go after. And if there's no, if you don't think that you have any uh, cost in the goods and you perhaps don't value your own skills yet uh, as much as they are worth, then how did you begin to teach them market value for what they were creating? Well, it's been interesting. Um, a lot of the women had part-time jobs uh, in tourist shops. And I'm thinking of one woman in particular who is an excellent crocheter, may I add. Her name is Santé. Uh, Santé crocheted and uh, would sell things to her neighbors. Uh, but we sort of let the women at this point choose what they're comfortable with, because there's no sense in saying, well, that's worth 75 US dollars, which it may be in the US market, but if you're selling it to your neighbor who has nothing, uh, that's not going to work. So they began to see the value of what they made by why, what people would pay for it. And now that the tourists are coming back, they're understanding they can charge the tourist market more. And they can charge the German market even more. Uh, the, here's a cross-cultural story. The Germans in Cologne celebrate carnival. And one of the things they do for carnival is wear something called a Narren cap, which is a dunce cap in a certain shape. So they asked us if we would make them. And we said, yeah, but we don't know what they are, what they look like. So we found that out. So I have Botanese women 
making German dunce caps for Carnival in Cologne out of fabric that came from Florida. Truly a global initiative. And then the lady said, oh, these are kind of plain. Do you mind if we put beads on them? And they hand beaded them. So they are selling them um, at about 15 euro a piece, which is a lot of money. That's remarkable. And they sold, they sold 50 of them, five zero. So slowly they're learning, and they're learning that the local market won't take the price, but the international market will. So now we're looking for international places. Um, by happenstance, our Rotary Club met for its strategic annual meeting at a place that uh, sells items to Home Goods, TJ Maxx, and uh, Pier One, and places that I used to shop. So when we get over supplying the Christmas market in Cologne and get to catch our breath, we'll approach them and say, are you interested in batik bags and batik placemats? Because I happen to know what those stores will buy. So, uh, of course, we're looking for different things. I know that, that we've taken this a bit more of a turn towards the business part of of this impact, but also as a businesswoman, you and I know we understand that if you don't treat a not-for-profit like a business, it can't do good. You know, even well, even the United Nations recognizes that with the sustainable sustainability goals, you have to do well in order to do good. So this I is I always I always tell people that a not-for-profit business is a business. Yes. The major difference is taxes, taxation, and the fact that you can't take what profit, except not-for-profits call that profit surplus. You can't take the surplus and do anything but plow it right back into the not-for-profit business. And that's the only difference. I'm glad that you brought that back up. So it's assured reinvesting in the enterprise, what whatever that activity is, so you can do more. So it, it's wonderful. It's like <laughs> it just perpetuates if you have good management and and uh, passion to keep it going. Good. So tell me now, what are you? What are your next steps? Uh, what do you think? Uh, the next steps for the sewing for living is to really clarify what we're selling. I know we're selling crocheted and sewed things, but who is buying what? Uh, we're finding that our new local customer wants toys, little stuffed animals, little stuffed bees. We have the orangutans I mentioned. <laughs> and we're beginning to make dolls that are dressed in traditional Indonesian temple costume. Uh, and those are selling very well. Yeah. Um, the Naren Kappen looks like it's going to be a hit. Uh, we'll see if we get a repeat order next year. Um, so we look at what's selling on the market. Um, 
and we look at what is being carried in the markets here, uh, which does not necessarily come from Indonesia. Uh, and if the Western market is buying, what is it buying? Uh, and it's going to be a refining process that every business goes through. It, um, and a continuing education of how do you run a business and make a profit. Right. I can't help but think, Marianne, as you're talking, that everything that you're discussing and that you've done and learned and improved along the way uh, for our audience, you don't have to be somewhere else in the world for that to be relevant. You can do that in your own community, right? You can yes, it, you could. Do it at home. So this is not um, not a conversation or a model for something international or uh, you know life changing. This is a model for how you can have an impact, make a difference with an idea. And going forward. So I want to thank you for that. And I, I certainly believe that I would like to come back and revisit this conversation and see what else you've learned along the way. And thank you in advance, uh, if you'll agree to do that, because your evolution with this project, your experience and learning could help so many others. And, and after all, that is lifting as you climb, right? Right. But I didn't ask you specifically. Um, when I asked, reached out and said, would you be on the Lift As You Climb podcast? What did you, what did that mean for you? What did it trigger in your thoughts? Um, it triggered uh, memories of all the people who, who helped me along the way. And some of them don't even know it. Yeah. I think of, I think her name was Julie Rockefeller when Rockefeller was, uh, the governor of West Virginia, his wife started uh, communal sewing groups of women who sewed things like quilts and, and other handicrafts and sold them for the same reason I'm doing that with other women here. Uh, they had a talent. They had a skill uh, that wasn't being used but could be used. She's always been a role model for me. Um, I think of the women that I met at Enterprising Women. We, I sat on their advisory board, and we'd get together, and I'd sit there going, when they find out I own a bed and breakfast and have a scone mix, they're going to burst out laughing because they're running construction companies and asphalt companies in Washington, D.C., and all these things that are bringing in millions of dollars. And... Um, I found out that they didn't. They were intrigued. And I found out that regardless of the size of your business, we all have the same problems. <laughs> Maybe the scale is different, but they're all the same problems. I absolutely confirm that from personal experience. Yes. And that was just such a revelation to me. Um, I think of the women in Nabo, uh, particularly in, in Tucson, because... They struggled too, and it was very interesting for me to find out how they dealt with those struggles and how they relied on one another, not to buy their products, but for support. Mm -hmm. it, uh, 
And I find that with my my women here. Uh, language is very interesting uh, because I don't speak Bahasa Indonesia very well. My brain is is far too old to acquire it with any grace and dignity. And I know two words in Balinese, uh, literally two words. Um, English skills on their side is better, but how do you teach a skill to a group of women who don't speak the same language you do? And the answer is technology. YouTube is wonderful. And they are the ones who discovered that. Ah. It, uh, I, I said earlier, I'm a technological pterodactyl. And it never crossed my mind, even though I knew that those crochet lessons were out there. But they learned um, how to follow them in English. And uh, so I have uh, a substitute teacher who does quite, quite nicely. So, and they share this information with each other. It's a communal society here in Bali, and they share information. There isn't that, well, I'm not telling her because then she'll be able to do something I can't do. There's none of that, which makes it very nice, may I add. Uh, and there again, they are living the lift as you climb model, helping each other, learning from each other, lifting. Oh, definitely. Lifting each other, lifting the entire community, right? Mary it's part I, of their culture. All right. So uh, tell me just a little bit about that. I recognize it's late at night for you, but that's a, if I could sprinkle more of what you just said around the world, I would like to do so. So the cultural aspect of helping each other. It, uh, it stands to reason. The best example I can give you of that is uh, I have a granddaughter who is now 13 months old. But when that baby was born, her feet were not allowed to touch the ground or the floor for 105 days. That's three months on the Balinese calendar, which is reliant on the moon, not the sun. Uh, and you think, well, what difference does that make? And so on and so forth. Well, that child was passed. If mom was busy, then dad took the child or grandma took the child or one of the cleaning staff took the child, not expecting payment for babysitting. It was a baby who was in need, and that was it. Um, if the community knows of someone who needs food, the community gets together and helps that person uh, as much as they can. If there's a family who's having difficulties, they sit down with the leader of the community, and he mediates. Uh, the women help one another. It's, it's really quite amazing, and one of the reasons we moved here. All right. So many more questions I have to ask of you, Marianne, and, and I, I hope that we will have that opportunity soon. And I have a two right now that are absolutely priorities. And one is, what can we do? What can we as our audience do to help lift more of the women that you are helping? Send yarn, which is not inexpensive, may I add. 
Um, shipping costs have skyrocketed. It scared us to death, but people keep coming through. Um, or send money. It's easier to send money, but the money will buy sewing machines. The yarn that we can get is not the same quality. And one thing that's a selling point for us is the quality of the yarn we have. All right. So uh, that's a that's a shout out. That's a call to action for anyone who is listening uh, to this episode. Check your cupboards and drawers and craft baskets for the things that you are not using and put them to And it doesn't have to be a full skein or a full ball. It can be leftovers. Okay. In fact, we get leftovers from uh, Goodwill Industries of Southern Arizona. <laughs> well, that was, that was going to be my next. Or go to your local charity shop or thrift store or Goodwill organization. And there's lots of people that are Marie condoing their lives right now, downsizing. I know in Tucson, uh, my dear friend and yours, Gina Murphy Darling and her hum- husband James, they made great hauls regularly. Uh, but let's let's talk about Goodwill Industries and something you shared with me when we were off the air and, and give them a shout out. It, uh, Gina, our mutual friend, went to the director and said, look, this is what's going on. Because when people say, well, I want to send yarn, where, what kind do you want? And I say, any kind. In fact, go to the Goodwill, buy the yarn there. It's less expensive for you. And it helps them. So you get to help charities abroad and at home. Absolutely. So Gina took it one more step and went to Matthew and said, Matthew, this is what's going on. And he said, well, I'll send yarn from the 20 stores in Southern Arizona. We're very excited. I can't wait till the first group gets here. Now, my daughter did something. Um, She's a research scientist for the Australian government. And she put a large box in the office break room and said, my mom is collecting yarn to teach women how to crochet. So people who listened to, it was one of the big U.S. papers who said, if you have to spend time, why don't you take up knitting? And people thought, that's a great idea. I'll take up (laughs) knitting. And then they they, they went out and bought beautiful yarn and hated knitting. Uh, So the box got filled. Um, and grandma may have liked to crochet, but daughter hated to crochet. So, uh, we, we get our yarn from various and sundry sources. Uh-huh. So question, um, yarn and crochet, is that called cotton or thread? Is it still called yarn? Um, here it's all called string. Um, but the crochet cotton is for lacy, lacy things. Okay. Uh, the toys and so on, just go with your regular yarn or bulky yarn or baby weight yarn. Any weight, what we would call yarn in England and Australia, they call it wool. Whether it's acrylic, it doesn't matter. It's still wool. And like I said, here, everything is referred to as string. We will take all of it. All right. In the show notes of this episode, I will include the instructions, the address, and just a list of, of what you could donate. 
uh, and how to, so the address to send it to, but also if, if what you'd rather do is send money. And I'm like, oh, I can send you directions to how to do that too. Yeah. We're going to provide all of that because that is also very easily done. And I encourage you, uh, get your clubs, your churches, your neighbors, your office colleagues involved in this. It's so easy and it's so fun. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to our uh, Rotary Club in Tucson, Tucson Sun Sunrise, where Ginger, Ginger Garcia with her insurance agency office, she had a collection box and not only did her staff contribute, but neighboring businesses and clients uh, and our, their organizations. So it's easy to get some momentum going and then make sure it's clean and packaged up to transport and we'll provide you the instructions and all of that. All right. So excited by this. I hope this inspires others, gives you ideas on and how you can lift and climb and start something that will have sustainable, positive impact. And you don't have to have it all figured out first. Just get going like Marion and her Rotary colleagues did. Before I let you get off to your evening, Marion, would you share something that we haven't already talked about that we probably can't find on Google about you? Let me see. It must have been in the early 90s. In the early 1990s, I uh, cooked and served lunch for the then Minister of Technology of Indonesia in Pittsburgh. And that was B.J. Habibi, who became president. Amazing. On a houseboat going up and down the three rivers in Pittsburgh. He had come to see Rockwell International, was still headquartered there, yeah. and Westinghouse to talk about, I, I'm not sure, I was never privy to what they talked about, but it had something to do with technology. And the party person at Rockwell International called me because of the job I had at the time and said, I need an Indonesian cook. And I said, well, good luck, because there are no Indonesian restaurants here. Well, there are Indonesian students. And I said, yes, there are. But trust me, if, uh, if you can send your child to the United States to go to college, uh, he doesn't know how to cook. Uh, he has a cook. Um, and, but she would not let out. And I finally said, look, I'm the only person I know who cooks Indonesian food. And she said, you'll do. Well, so I ended up on a houseboat on the Nongahela River uh, and the Ohio and the Allegheny Rivers uh, cooking lunch for soon-to-be President B.J. Habibi, his wife, and his entourage. Well, that must have been nerve-wracking. Oh, fun. It was fun. And of course, he told me it was delicious because his culture wouldn't allow him to say anything else. But <laughs> well, so I'm curious, did he ever reciprocate and invite you to the to the presidential mansion for a meal afterwards? No. Oh, darn it. Darn it. All right. All right. 
Anything else that you would like to share today or perhaps any tips that you have for anybody who would like to follow in your footsteps? Well, I really don't feel comfortable with anyone following in my footsteps. They can walk beside me and we'll support each other along the way so that we can do what what needs to be done. Uh, We all need help and we can all help one another. Very well said. Thank you, Marion. And I would very much like to walk beside you. Oh, good. 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 And I'll be in touch to see how I can apply to be a member of your Rotary Club. For now, to all, uh, I hope that this has lifted you and inspired you Uh, on how you can go out and make a difference in the world, small way or a growing way. For now, thank you, everyone. Goodbye, Marion. Talk soon. Talk soon, and I'll get those addresses to you first thing in the morning. My morning or afternoon. And they will be shared. And please, if you're listening, Make sure you share this episode. Let's really have a, a positive tsunami effect by letting more people in the world know about sewing for living and the other great causes. And that this started not only as a local community thing, but now has an impact helping to save the rainforest. So you just never know where the journey will take you, but just get on board and go. Right. And think about buying one of those cute little orangutans. Oh, I'm I'm doing it for sure. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope our conversation added value to your day and expanded your vision for your legacy and impact. Please join me in increasing my impact and expanding my reach to even more people by sharing this episode on social media with friends and leaving a review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or channel of choice. To catch all the latest from me, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Connect with me and others in our community Facebook group, The Lift As You Climb Movement, where you can engage, be inspired by, and grow with a tribe of like-minded people. As I evolve as a podcaster and spokeswoman for collaboration and economic empowerment, your input and feedback are especially important to me. I welcome your suggestions and questions to hello at theencorecatalyst.com. Until we meet again, please remember your success may be the foundation for someone else's. Together, we can raise success ladders around the world.